good to be with you this morning. How's everybody? Good. My name is Mark. I serve as one of the pastors here at the church. It's, um, I feel like fall is just like the cold is coming. And it feels good. I, I like it. I like this time of the year. So I hope you do too. I hope you do too. Um, if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 9, and we're going to be putting our attention in verses 18 through 27. If you don't have a Bible and you need a Bible, there's one in this back table back over here, if you'd like one. And those are also gifts that we would happily give to anybody who would like it, so those are, those are there for you. Again, we're in Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 27. And I'm going to say right off the bat that this passage has arguably the most important question that Jesus asks and the most important requirement to following Jesus in the entire first section of Luke. So if you're not familiar with Luke, if you've kind of jumped in with us in these last couple of weeks, um, as I've said before, chapter 9 in Luke's gospel is a hinged chapter that kind of moves from Jesus' ministry and walking with his disciples. And as we see and learn about who this Jesus is, of Jesus coming as a baby and then bringing and walking with his disciples and kind of being um, declared the Messiah, to then turning his face at the end of, at the end of chapter 9 towards Jerusalem where he would then walk to his death on the cross. And the most important question that we find in chapter 9, here this morning, is when Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? And in light of that response, the most important requirement that Jesus says is, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Since the dawn of the church, Christians have struggled to understand the cost of following Jesus. So in this chapter and in this moment, Peter's confession, Jesus' prediction, and his teaching on what discipleship is, what it means, it's, a, it's an exhortation for us to know the person of the cross and to know the purpose of the cross to be a people of the cross. So that's what we're going to be doing. And let, let me draw your attention first to, to verses 18 through 20. We're just going to jump in here and focus our attention on the person of the cross. So this is what Jesus says to his disciples, or this is what happens. It says, Verse 18, while he was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, others, Elijah, still others, that one of the ancient prophets has come back. Verse 20, but you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, God's Messiah so I shared this last week that, that Luke has, has been kind of citing these moments of the question of who is Jesus. It kind of keeps popping up here and there. And just before this moment, King Herod, the governor, or the king, sorry, not the governor, the king is interested in hearing about 
Jesus and who he is. And so that question gets popped up again. Who is this Jesus? I thought I killed John the Baptist. I thought I ended this, the gospel movement thing, that it's done now. So who is this guy? And so that's where kind of this question is leading to, is the disciples are confronted with different answers, explaining who Jesus is, even though they're walking with Jesus. You see how we can identify already into this kind of moment. And if not, let me, let me, help, let me help you. Right? Jesus, he's leaving his Galilean ministry, and they've experienced his power his goodness, his ministry, and he's turning his face towards Jerusalem. So why is he asking this question? Why is he asking this to his disciple? Because he wants to, he wants the disciples to share what they're not sharing to him, right? In a sense, he wants to reveal what the answers in the public square are saying about himself, and make them share their own declaration. Not in the sense that Jesus is insecure. So he's not asking it because he's insecure, but that he knows that their young faith is being challenged every day by people claiming who he is. The disciples are confronted with different Jesuses, if you will in the public square, and he's seeking this moment to reveal who he is and to explain even more and what that cost means. In all of this moment, Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. He wasn't asking for his own sake, but he was asking for their sake. So God does this throughout the scriptures where he asks a question, and it almost sounds like he like wants to know the answer, but really what he's doing is he's revealing the answer to that person so that they reveal it. So take an example of Elijah. Remember Elijah, he goes through this big spurt of depression. He goes up into this mountain. He climbs into a cave and he says, like, kill me now, Lord, right? Kill me now. Just let my life end. And God comes to him and he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? But he doesn't ask him in a sense of like, Elijah, what are you doing here? He asks him, in a sense, to reveal his answer to himself. Heavenly questions reveal transparent belief. There's no hiding our answers. There's no hiding things. When Jesus asks his disciples, who do you say that I am? It's the question that they are confronted with. Belief is confronted with reality. Jesus is not asking out of insecurity and out of ignorance of, under, of not knowing. He's not even let, letting them define himself. He is revealing their belief so that it can be confronted. God's Messiah. This is, a, this is the confession Peter shares, showing that they didn't believe that Jesus was only a prophet, but that he is the anointed one. This is the one Israel has been waiting for since time of David. Jesus is the real Messiah. So how do they know that? And how does Jesus help us? 
as we're confronted with different Jesuses throughout our time. There was a friend of mine who, who shared with me um, at, at some point in time the, the way that bank tellers receive training on how to um, identify counterfeit money. Right? And the training, what, which would be logical, is that they would analyze the different types of counterfeit money. Right? That's the most logical idea, is that they would see what the counterfeit money is, and they would be able to identify that. Right? But really, what happens is their training, they spend a long period of time studying the real thing. They spend hours upon hours studying all of the intricacies of real money. And they spend so long on it, identifying that every single detail to understand the real currency so they can identify it very easily. So when a counterfeit bill comes, it's a secondary benefit. The most valuable part of their job is that they know and recognize the real thing. We live in a time and place, friends, when we have counterfeit Jesuses all around us. Right? We've got, we've got political Jesus, who, depending on who you ask, right, he either loves or he's ever totally against tax increases or loves printing money. One of the two, depending on who you ask. There's therapist Jesus. Wants you to help cope with your problems but doesn't want you to be super hard on yourself. There's open-minded Jesus who loves everyone all the time no matter what. You've got Super Bowl Jesus. He's that spiritual force that you can pray through on the TV that helps your team win. Right? This is, this is and if you're my family, as we go to Chick-fil-A, you have Chick-fil-A Jesus. I know. I just said a very, uh, I just said a very dangerous thing. It's the Lord's chicken. I get it. But this Jesus, this is the quiet presence Jesus. It's like the instrumental music that you can only hear in the bathroom. Right? That Jesus is like the, oh, there it is. It's the quiet, the quiet music. That's the Chick-fil-A Jesus. Each of us is confronted, and even deeper with that, with a counterfeit Jesus and a counterfeit gospel throughout our lives that kind of permeates its way through our culture. And what we need to do, and what Christ calls us to do, is, to, is what we believe about Jesus makes all the difference. We are called to know the real Jesus. What we believe about Jesus makes all the difference. If we are to put our hope and our identity in him, we have to know the real Jesus deeply. All of his details to study the scriptures so that we can recognize the counterfeit when it pops up. We must understand that Jesus is the Messiah and that God's Son who came to us in human flesh and was crucified, was buried, and was raised from the dead, paying the full penalty of all of our sins and transgressions, has brought us into God's redemptive story 
where we, the church, living in this time in history, get to follow him and get to declare the beauty and wonder of the gospel, knowing full well that Jesus reigns right now in heaven at the right hand of the Father and will one day judge every human has ever lived and put our hope in his return. Acts 2 says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. But our great danger is we may mistake the real Jesus for a counterfeit one. Knowing the person of the cross clarifies the purpose of the cross. When we have mistaken the real Jesus, we have mistaken the purpose of the cross. So let's read verse 21 through 22, where Jesus, he now shares. So the, the Peter, he makes that, that declaration, right? He makes that confession. You are God's Messiah. But let's see what Jesus says of that. This is verse 21. But he strictly warned and instructed them to tell this to no one. Verse 22, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and raised the third day. So what Jesus is teaching here is confessing Christ always requires embracing a suffering Savior. Let me say that one more time. Confessing Christ always requires embracing a suffering Savior. Our confession is our embrace and our recognition that he died on the cross for us. At the cross, we discover truths about Jesus and about ourselves. We discover the costly forgiveness of sins and what God requires of us to be justified. The purpose of the cross was to make the one who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be made righteous. And that's 2 Corinthians 5. The purpose of the cross was for Jesus to become the curse for us so that he would redeem us from the curse of the law. I love, though, I love what Tim Keller says here about the cross and how we look at it because it gets so convoluted in our time. Tim Keller says, On the cross, neither justice nor mercy loses out. Both are fulfilled at once. Jesus' death was necessary if God was going to take justice seriously and still love us. But again, we might be asking why. Why is the cross necessary? Let's listen to, I want want you to hear John 20 in this. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that that by believing, you may have life in his name. So what do we sense from that? When Jesus is telling us the purpose of the cross, of what that means, it means that we are to embrace a suffering Savior and know that there is a reality at hand, that there is a cost 
to following Christ. It's not easy to know the purpose of the cross. It's to know, or to know the person of the cross, excuse me, is to know his purpose. And that's how we begin to see, when we have those two things in line, that's how we get to see what it means to be a people, a people of the cross. At this point, the disciples are totally confused. Because remember, on this side, as we're reading the scriptures, we're reading things that have happened, right? But for them, things are happening in real time. So when Jesus just starts sharing that he is going to be crucified, that he's going to die, there's general concern and, and confusion over this. So much so, this is the point when, uh, when Peter, he denies that Jesus is going to happen, and then Jesus has that rebuke, get behind me, Satan. That just makes things even worse, right? That would just bring even more tension. I'm already confused. What, what's going on with that? But rightfully so, because... It's always our natural tendency when faced with real truth to reduce or dumb down the cost of following Jesus. There is a real cost Jesus teaches us to follow him. There is a requirement. There is a reason and there is a reward. So those are the three things I kind of want to split up as we're kind of going into the rest of this. So let me draw your attention now to, to verse 23 where we've had that question asked and now we're moving into that response of what Jesus is, is stating here. Verse 23, Then he said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. This is the most re important requirement for us to look at. You and I cannot live for ourselves and God at the same time. Scripture brings a confronting reality to us when we think about the kingdom of God and walking with Jesus, which Jesus doesn't just call us to a light-hearted devotion and accompaniment. He calls us to an identity-changing shift, to lay down our own lives, to pick up our cross and to follow him. Coming to Jesus is a death, our death, so that we might live in him. Following Christ is following the call to die to yourself so that you can live in him. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, what he is meaning is to say that your life, or what we would want to say our life, or our way first, our way will never satisfy our truth will always be deceiving. Our life will one day end. But to die to ourselves and to carry our cross and to follow Jesus, 
We are now following in the way. We are embracing and living in the truth. And we are following and living now in life. In Jesus is life. Galatians 22, Galatians 2, verse 20. It's the Christian's reality. And one I think that we should be continually putting on our hearts, which it says, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Amen, church? The requirement of following Jesus is picking up a cross. It's laying down ourselves so that we might find new life in him. But what then, if we want to dive in, what's the reason? Let's continue. What is that reason? Jesus goes on to explain, verse 24 through 25. He says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life because of me will save it. For what does it benefit someone if he gains the whole world and yet loses or forfeits himself? The reason, so the reason that we carry our cross is because life lies on the other side of it. The reason that we carry our cross is because life lies on the other side of it. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads to life. I love, if you guys haven't, you've, maybe you've heard me talk about it. One of my favorite books, Pilgrim's Progress. Uh, that's a great book. You should read that book. If you haven't, in like three years, I'm probably going to mention it a lot. So I will, you know, I just got to bring copies and give them out. But it's a confusing book because it's just a bit old and, you know, it's, there's some parts of it that can be considered boring. I don't know. But what it does is it does lay out very relevant elements of every person's life, whether you're a Christian or you're not, that you are confronted with. You're confronted with choosing easy directions and you're confronted with choosing difficult directions. And the beauty of the Pilgrim's Progress is that it kind of shows you how the, oh, there's only one way to receive life, and that's through following this narrow gate. And Christian, the main character, takes every path that is pretty much wrong. Helping us see, oh yeah, maybe I've done that before, maybe I've done this before. But it points to the reason of the cross in that it helps clarify the confusion that we often find ourselves in, which is our crosses are an announcement of self-centeredness. It means that in every easy direction, there is something, that choice is, is a, a decision that we are making and demonstrating about what we believe of ourselves. And we choose easy paths. In our faith, when we're confronted with a difficult decision or a difficult 
commitment that we need to follow Jesus that would show the Christian integrity and yet we're, we're tempted to follow an easy route, that in itself is a teaching to us about ourselves. We are confronted with the self-centeredness every day. Every day. And I think that sometimes we get confused as to what it means to carry our cross and the reason behind that. So think about it this way. Hardship. Right? Carrying our cross is not simply trials or hardship. Or difficult things. Life difficulties do not necessarily indicate cross bearing. Difficulties for Christ's sake do. Each of us is going to be confronted with hard things, but they're not necessarily a cross bearing difficulty. Difficulties for Christ's sake do, meaning our crosses come from. And are proportionate to our dedication to following Jesus. We will only recognize the proportion of following Jesus when there is a real cost to following him. Some things are easy to give to Jesus. Other things, the deep ones, the scary ones... The secret ones that you don't want to talk to anybody about, those are the hard ones. Those are the hard ones. And the Bible confronts us in that. Communion with Jesus is easy. Laying down our burdens is light. But following Jesus and embracing difficulties in our lives for Christ's sake, that is hard. That is hard. And we are, have moments in life where we have to choose. It requires carrying the cross, a self-denial, a rejecting our own kingdoms for the reason of receiving life in Jesus. You are no longer your own. You were bought with a price. But here's the beautiful thing. As difficult as it is, as we follow Jesus, we're hit with these moments of sinfulness. We're, we're, we're inadequacy. We're hit with these moments of suffering and our personal suffering of what's happening and sometimes our Christian suffering of what we want to do. Sometimes they get midi, middle, muddied up. Excuse me. They get kind of convoluted. And there's a discernment process that we're living in that we're asking Jesus, help me differentiate the two. What is my desire versus what is your desire? Because honestly, in a lot of situations, I can kind of see both, right? Yes, you want to do a lot of great things for the gospel. You want to witness to, to your, your coworker, to someone, and at the same time, you really also need money. Right? You have, there's a career element to this. Which one, in moments, will have pressure and tensions of both? But Jesus is so helpful to us in clarifying wisdom and discernment and helping us see that those difficult moments that Jesus calls us to in carrying the cross are so worth it. 
They're so worth it. And it's a beautiful thing, this, this paradox of the gospel, that death leads to life and that it has this eternal reward. So the question that I want to ask is, so what is our reward? What is our reward? Verse 20, verses 26 through 27 answer it in probably the most confusing way possible. Jesus answers this, this portion of the message. So let me read this to you. It says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, and that of the Father and the holy angels. Truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. Until they see the kingdom of God. Kind of a bummer thing to end on. Also, what is Jesus saying exactly? Right? What, what does this mean? Who is he talking about? Some of these questions might be popping up in your question in your head. Who will Jesus be ashamed of? Right? when literally all of his disciples that he's around are sinners. And Peter goes on to reject Jesus just after he confessed him. So who exactly is Jesus talking about? Right? Thankfully, scholars have figured this out. And they've narrowed it down to about seven ideas of what Jesus meant in this moment. So depending on who you ask, you're going to get a different kind of answer. But seven, and instead of sharing them all, I think these passages are helpful to interpret in taking a bit of a step back and just seeing the whole picture. Instead of going through all of the weeds, let's just look at the lawn. Amen, indeed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the kingdom of God is a kingdom of glory. Let's start there. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of glory. How is that first seen? First comes the cross. Then comes the crown. Amen? Our reward is that the death that Jesus is speaking of, that death, that phrase, is the same death that we see in the other scriptures that are accompanied with death's sting, bitterness, the bitterness of death. Our reward is that death's sting will not be our fate. But eternal life and security in Christ will be. Jesus is saying here that those who affirm him will be affirmed by him. No matter those moments that Peter faced... Peter just confessed Jesus as the Messiah, and then he goes on to confess that he has no idea who he is. Even then, our reward is that Jesus is faithful to us. That it is not dependent on our works to bring us to the kingdom of glory, but that Jesus, in his death, has already brought us there. Amen? And to carry our cross is to be like Jesus and then to enter into that glory with him. Death is now replaced 
with the fullness of life in Christ. That glory that Jesus is describing is one that we too will get to share in. The cost of following Christ is hard now, yes, but the reward is the guarantee that one day our groanings will turn to rejoicing. That death's sting is forever gone. That we will see Jesus in his glory and be transformed into his glory. Our reward to following Jesus is knowing Jesus. And we get to know him now and we get to see him face to face one day when he comes back. So the question that all of us are going to be confronted with, that we have been confronted with, who do you say Jesus is? Is he a soft accompaniment to your life? Or is he one that you have laid down your life to to pick up his cross and carry? Is he a self-accompanied Jesus or is he a self-denying Savior who'd suffered for you, who died on the cross for you so that you might have eternal life in him? By knowing the, per the person of the cross, we know his purpose. And through that, we become his people. So in moments where we're confronted with hundreds of counterfeit Jesuses, we can stand confident, choose the narrow path, the difficult path of carrying his, his cross to have an eternal reward of being with him. That is what makes knowing Jesus all worth it. That's what brings us into communion with him. That's how the Spirit ministers to us is helping us see the real thing. But that question, friends, is going to be one that we will be confronted with every day. And so there's a, there's a part of this that, that isn't necessarily seen in it, but that I want to bring your attention to, which is the disciples themselves. The disciples are together, experiencing this for the first time, seeing Jesus for the, seeing Jesus in all of his, his power, but not yet seeing his glory. That's going to happen just with three of them in his transfiguration that's about to come. But the question will remain in all of our lives is how we are responding to Jesus' call to carry our cross and to do difficult things for Christ's sake. I think the encouragement for me is that I'm not alone and that you're not alone in that. And that the Christian life and living the life of discipleship is not one of solitude. It's one of community. It's one where we get to, as we pick and carry our cross with Jesus, we are doing so together as the church. The church is a beautiful encouragement to us to encourage one another, to exhort one another in the gospel and to follow after him.
And nowadays it's, it's so difficult because we have so much of an individualistic faith where all of our faiths are very personal and private to us that we become scared to ask each other the important and the, the heavy questions, the difficult things. But the challenge of that is if we don't, if we don't, then we may in turn be helping someone choose the wrong, the wrong path, the wrong way. And Jesus calls us to a deeper faith. Jesus calls us to know him and to know him together. And through that, then we get to share with the world. Friends, I want to encourage you that as you pick up your cross and as you follow Jesus, there's so much reward to be gained in that. Even in moments when it seems hard and it seems difficult, Jesus is continuing to be faithful to us and calling us to himself. Amen? Let's pray.